This episode is brought to you by Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Get into your best shape with their comprehensive programs. So sign up now to either their basic package or warrior package with the code PSPKB, all caps, for 15% off. Stay fit this winter with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world, covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcasters. I'm your co-host, me, Wallace Bruce, and I am joined by Mr. Justin Williams. Justin, how's it going? Oh, living the dream and yourself. Good, mate. Good to good to be back with you again. It's been a while. And yeah, we're joined right. by our other co-host, the third member of this fine trio, Mr. Kobe Durand, otherwise known as Kobe. Kobe, how you doing? Fantastic, buddy. It's good to have the whole crew on. That's right. Good things come in threes. And... A sport that it has multiples of threes is tennis. You've got to get six to win a set, and in most matches, it's a best of three, but Grand Slams are a best of five. Anyway, more <laughs> on that later. We have a titan of the sport. We have the former president, chairman, and CEO of the United States Tennis Association, also the chairperson of the U.S. Open. She is a trailblazer in tennis. She was the first black commentator on the tennis channel. She's also a former tennis player herself. It is the one, the only, Katrina Adams. Katrina, how's it going? It's great, guys. How are you? Happy to be here. Oh, it's great to have you on. And we're recording on Saturday, the 29th of January. I've got to ask, as, a, as an Australian, did you catch the, the finals this morning? I absolutely did. I set my alarm. I was up. I had the support. Danielle Collins, our American, but, you know, happy for Ash Barty, who has just played tremendously, you know, throughout the tournament. And, and it's so tough to win on your home soil. Collins gave her a run for money, but Barty was just too good. But uh, it was a great, great tournament to watch for the last two weeks. For sure. And and as you mentioned, Barty did did break through in front of her home crowd. She It was the first time in 44 years that a, an Australian has won the Australian Open. Uh, in the singles competition, so it was great to see. It was great, also great to see Yvonne Gulagon-Cawley, another former champion, presenting her the trophy. But you did mention uh, Miss Collins and her success on the court. This is the first Australian Open in, I think, 20 or 22 years without one of the Williams sisters. So how important is it that there's a new generation of tennis players like Collins and uh, Pagula coming through? Well, I mean, it's huge. I mean, it's always going to be a changing of the guards generation after generation. And if you look at, you know, Venus and Serena, like you said, they played 25, 26 years. So uh, that's almost twice as long as most of their predecessors um, who were champions of the game. So, you know, with Collins, I mean, last year we had Brady, you know, in the finals of the U.S. Open a couple of years ago. You had Kennan, who won the, U- the Australian Open a couple of years ago. I think there's about 15 maybe 16 Americans in the top 100, maybe more. But it's it's awesome to see this next generation stepping up and, and being the leaders of the game and to see players like Maddie Keys get back, you know, on her game, get to the semifinals. 
and showing that she's a, a force to reckon with in the future. There we go. The future is bright for the U.S. So what I wanted to ask you was, there's been a lot of talk about the actual tennis market being a bit stale right now. And most of that comes from the men's side. You've got Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal sort of dominating tournaments again and again and again. And that's made it a little bit lackluster to watch for the average fan. I don't see that on the women's side, but it doesn't get as much attention. Do you think things should really be changing at this point? Well, you know what? It's interesting. It, people, you know, there are ebbs and flows because for years, everyone, all they're talking about are the big three and the big four and how exciting the game is and that there's such a rivalry. And now they're saying, oh, it's boring because we just have the big three. And so, you know, it's six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. What is it that they want? They're great athletes. They're unbelievable players. And I think when you're talking about history, in particular on the men's side, with up until today with Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal all tied at 20 major titles. And now Nadal, you know, getting a black with the 21st title in the Australian Open today, I think is phenomenal. But yeah, there is a next generation of men behind them. They said the same thing 25 years ago, you know, when Sampras, Courier, Chang, and Agassi were on their way out. Oh, who's next? Oh, there's going to be a lackluster. And then came Federer, you know, and Roddick and all these guys. So um, I, I think, you know, the next generation of male players, Daniil Medvedev is proven to be at the top of the board for the next generation. You've got Shapovalov, Rublev, Fritz, Tiafo. There's so many other young guys that are going to come up and, and just take the mantle away when these guys do step away. And on the, on the women's side, yeah, every, every tournament every week is different. And again, now people are saying how exciting it is because they don't know who's going to win. But when Serena and Hingis and Hennen and Kleisters and Venus were all at the top, you know, they, they wanted to have just those few names. So, you know, tennis is that great sport that on any given day, anybody can beat one another. And I think that's the exciting part. And, you know, as, as Serena does step away, you know, I'm not sure if she'll ever step back on the court again. You know, it's like, okay, here we go. Who's next? Who's going to take the lead and who's going to take the mantle? Seeing as how we're based uh, north of the border in the Great White, I've got to ask you, what do you think of the up-and-coming Canadian players? They're phenomenal. I think it's, you know, I think it's awesome that Tennis Canada has really invested in their player development over the years and, and really assisted mm -hmm these these young players that are coming up you know on the men's side you know years ago they had greg ruzetsky well greg was british and he became canadian because it was an opportunity for him <laughs> yeah. but yeah. you know but but then you had uh, milos raonic you know who was getting to the semifinals of majors and now you've got um uh felix ager aliasim and, and Denis shapovalov these these cats are you know getting deep into the majors now. And I think that's phenomenal. And then obviously on the women's side with Bianca Andreescu winning the U S open a few years ago, and unfortunately hasn't regained that, that level due to injuries. But then you have young Layla Fernandez, who got to the finals of the U S open last year, and, and they have another young lady Dabrowski. So I think, you know, looking at what they are, are doing and the opportunities that are there, is great. You know, they are just north of the border. And, and I think we have collaborated with them over the years. Uh, we, the USCA, 
And and it's great to see them now, you know, off on their own and, and leading the way. For sure. Hey, so out of the three of us, I'm definitely the least experienced when it comes to the tennis world. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> the closest interaction I have is Mario Tennis on N64. All right, well, that works. That works. That works. And Mario Aces on the Switch. So There you go. There you go. All right, well, you're in. You're in. <laughs> Thank you. My, my biggest question is why can Boo never beat Bowser? I feel like it should be an easy match. But. <laughs> You're doing something wrong, man. You're doing something wrong. He has no legs. I don't know how he's slow. I don't understand. But anyways, anyways, um, reading reading your bio and kind of following up, being the professional creeper that I am, I understand that you're on the International Tennis Hall of Fame Board of Directors. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Now, answer me this dumb question. Do you have a say in who gets into the Hall of Fame? As a board member, no. There is a committee. Uh, there is an enshrinement, what we call an enshrinement nominating committee that votes. And that consists of current Hall of Famers, media, past players, you know, people who have knowledge in the game, uh, experts, if you will. And, you know, when the ballot comes out, these people vote and you have to reach 75% or greater to, to be inducted. And so there is a process. It's not any one person or any one special group. It's a it's a combination of, of several people in in the industry. Perfect. Now, will you ever? Are you looking to even potentially be a part of that group where you do have your say? Uh, I am a voting member of that group. We love that. Now, again, I'm very new to the world of tennis. Still, kind of feeling it out for myself. Is there like a kind of a, a MLB scandal per se, where an athlete you think should get in, but isn't quite there based on whatever their merit or personal life? No, it's a, it's what you call, I guess, a blind ballot. So the ballot is sent out, people send in their votes. So there's no, it's not like you're sitting around a table discussing who should get in and who shouldn't. So once oh. the ballot is released, everyone gets their opportunity to vote. Okay. Okay. Now my last question regarding this. Um, Sylvester Stallone made it into the Boxing Hall of Fame based on Rocky. Do we think we can see Mario make it in based on Nintendo? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mario has skills now. He's, he's I'm, got I'm skills. But, but, you know, uh, unfortunately, Mario doesn't have a Grand Slam title, which is a prerequisite, you know, and, and he hasn't been number one in the world in, in the human life. So, which is a prerequisite. So, I, I don't think he's going to make it. I mean, neither has Sylvester Stallone, but there he is, just chilling in the you Hall know, of Fame. You know, Sly, Sly is not in tennis, you know? It's different. <laughs> I love this. He's he, got heavy hands, buddy. He's got he heavy does. hands. Oh, he can knock me out at, what, like, 97? How old is he? He's like 74? I don't know how old he is. He's got a heavy punch. Yeah, just switching it up, Katrina. You re recently released a book called Own the Arena getting ahead, making a difference, and succeeding as the only one. That title in itself is pretty powerful. You want to tell our audience a little bit more about that? Yeah, so only arena. Arena can be anywhere. It can be your office, your room, your, your studio, your car, your office. It doesn't matter where it is. Um, it's your space. And, and wherever you are, you know, you should have the confidence and the intent of owning that space and owning that space with your knowledge, your skills, et cetera. Meaning, you know, be prepared in whatever you do and wherever you go. Understand why you're there. Understand that you've, invi you've been invited to 
a reception, to a meeting, to the table for a reason. Being the only one for me is being either the only female in a room or being the only uh, person of color or only black person in the room. And I think everybody at some point has experienced being the only one of something somewhere, whether you're the only male in the room, the only Hispanic, Caucasian, Asian, whatever you are, at some point you probably have been that only one. And it's understanding how you go in with that confidence and being prepared for the situation. I've used my experiences and my life's experiences through the sport of tennis that prepared me for many obstacles that I have met and overcome uh, as I've moved you know, through life and particularly on the business side of the sport. And um, so it's, it's a journey, but yet it's a, it's a leadership book that you know, talks about owning your courage, owning your voice, owning your identity, owning your losses, owning your successes and, and possibilities and, and many others. And, and I think it's a, it's a book that really, you know, it goes across many platforms, men, women, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, young, old, no matter what, people, there are stories in there that resonate with people that make them start to think a little bit differently. For sure. And I guess by understanding who you are and I guess the, the representation, you can go on to own the room. It is, but it's a matter of, it's a matter of, you know, not owning a room with arrogance. I'm not saying that it's just mm -hmm. a matter of saying I'm owning the room because I'm prepared. I know who's in here. You know, nowadays with Google and, and all the information that's sent out, you know, before you uh, attend an event, you know who the key people are that are in there. You know who in other industries are there. Do a little homework. Try to find out, try to find the people that you have something in common with so you can go in and have some small talk, you know, and not be afraid, particularly if it's your first first type of reception that you're, or invitation to, to a certain event. So as opposed to going in there thinking that you know everything. No, I'm not saying that. You just need to go in there understanding that you're invited for a reason, but recognize the people that are around you that you can network with and that you can learn from, yet be able to share a thing or two with them, even if it's on a base ground, you know, baseline level. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. I should, I know this is an audio interview, but I should point out that myself and Kobe were both persons of color. So that definitely resonates with me, and I'm sure that resonates with Kobe as well. Just staying in a similar vein, I think about Althea Gibson. Even when I was in Australia, I I know her importance to the game in the United States. She was the first, I believe she was the first person of color to win Wimbledon. Mm -hmm. How important was her career, I guess, in shaping the tennis careers of players like yourself? who came after her? Well, I think it's huge. I mean, she, you know, she was a player of the 50s when um, my parents weren't even born yet. But <laughs> no, not, not, not saying that. They were actually, let's see, they got <laughs> married. Like, I think they got married in 58, you know, and she was winning her second um, Wimbledon and second U.S. Nationals at the time. But, you know, she was the one that really broke the color barrier in sport, you know, before Jackie Robinson. And so mm -hmm. I think it's important that people recognize that. But, you know, back then, because she was a woman, she didn't get that recognition of that. But yet everyone talks about Jackie Robinson because it was Major League Baseball. It was this, that, and the other. And thank goodness for 
for his success in the entry of the baseball league. But for Althea Gibson and our sport, uh, it was huge. And, and not only for her to break the color barrier, she broke the color barrier in 1950 at the U.S. Nationals, which is currently called the U.S. Open. But um, winning it in 57 and 58, winning Wimbledon in 57, 58, she actually won the French Nationals in 56. So that was the first one, which is now called the French Open. Mm-hmm. And, and so people don't realize how prominent tennis was in the black communities in America in that time, um, particularly in the Northeast and, and maybe in Chicago. But it was an opportunity for everyone to say, wow, if she can do it, I can do it too. So mm-hmm. before there was an Arthur Ashe, you know, he, he was under the tutelage of someone like Althea and they had the same coach as, as you know, Dr. Johnson. And, and so Arthur Ashe won in 1968, the U.S. Open, which was then professional tennis. So he got all of the limelight and, and everything that followed. Whereas when Althea won, it was still an amateur sport. So it didn't really get all of the, the accolades that were necessary. But people like myself, Sina Garrison, Leslie Allen, Kim Sands, you know, Venus and Serena, Chanda Rubin, you know, we're very grateful for the strength and and the success that Althea had because it allowed us to follow in her footsteps. That's right. Um, because quite often when you see someone like yourself doing it, you're empowered to be able to strive to do it yourself. Absolutely. You know, Billie Jean King and others, but I always say you have to see it to believe it. And mm-hmm. so that was an opportunity for, you know, black girls in particular to have seen the success of Althea. Like I said, we didn't grow up watching her play. Uh, I've met her, but, you know, I wasn't able to to sit and watch her play like all the kids of today sit and watch, you know, just watch Madison Keys you know, in the last in the last month do well in Australia or have watched Venus and Serena over the years and Sloan, et cetera. So um, it was limited for us. The access was limited to to be able to watch our sheroes on television. But because we were of like minded and, and in like spaces and because we had organizations and tournaments like the ATA, you know, we saw each other year in and year out, meaning I saw the uh Lori McNeil and, and Zena Garrison, you know, growing up when they were at the top of their game in juniors, because I saw them playing in the ATA. And, and so, you know, you have to see it to believe it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. For sure. That's pretty much what's required for most people is to see somebody ahead of them do the same. Now, what got you into tennis to begin with? Because you started at a very young age, correct? Yeah, I was six. I, you know, I, I always say I stumbled on the sport. Uh, we knew nothing about tennis, had never heard about tennis. It was a summer activity by the uh, Martin Luther King Boys Club in Chicago. Every summer they had a different activity. That summer it was tennis. It was for nine to 18-year-olds. My brothers were in the program, and I was a tag-along sister that literally sat outside the fence for two weeks because I was too young until I, until I badgered my way with the coaches <laughs> and my parents to. Uh, you know, allow me to be in the program. Well, I mean, what use was I going and sitting outside the fence every day when the program was for kids, you know, to be active? And I was a huge tomboy. I already had hand-eye coordination. And so when I had the opportunity to get out and, and join the group, 
you know, I, I loved it from the very first ball I struck. And by the end of the program, I was the most improved player. And, and that, that particular coach thought I had potential and, and wanted to keep working with me. And, I, and, you know, I was able to play once a week during, you know, during the school year until the next summer. And, and then, you know, it just kind of grew from there. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join the Pro Sports Podcasters Facebook group where you will be able to interact with the hosts and talk to other sports fans. Now back to the show. What made you choose Northwestern? Well, I'm from Chicago, so, you know, I, I was watching Northwestern or read about Northwestern for many years while I was growing up. Uh, one of the clubs that I trained at, in Niles, the men's team practiced there. Um, we didn't have our own facilities back then, not our own indoor facilities, um, literally until like 2003. Wow. But so I, I love their purple purple suits. <laughs> the women's team was top ten in the nation, so I mean they were very good. They were Big Ten champions, and you know read about them, knew about them. Um, the coach had followed me, you know, throughout my junior career. And I was, a, I graduated from high school at 16. So at 16, I was a senior and no one else in the country knew that I was a senior in high school, but Northwestern and maybe anybody else that was paying attention in the newspapers. Really? Because I'd won, I'd won our high school state championship as a junior and senior. So if anyone was paying attention, they would have known that I was going into my senior year after winning the high school state championship as a junior. And nobody recruited me. Northwestern recruited me. You know, I loved it. I loved my visit there. It was a, I knew I wanted to focus on communications. They were the number one communication school in the, in the country. So a lot of things were, were aligned with what my future goals were. And as soon as I signed my letter of intent in April, you know, the floodgates opened. I started getting all kinds of phone calls and letters of, offering a scholarship or come visit. And at that point, it was too late. I'd already committed. So, you know, I'm a loyal person. I wasn't going to renege on my commitment just because these other schools, you know, across the country in warmer climates, I might add, <laughs> were offering the scholarship. So that, that's how I ended up there. Uh, you made them pay, obviously. For not <laughs> Oh, I, I love that. I couldn't, I couldn't wait to play against the schools that I had interest in going to. It was like, you know, you see what you missed out on? Yeah. Okay. Take that. <laughs> nice. Take that. Yeah. Here we go. Love that. Gotta love those uh those feel good stories. So like myself, like as I mentioned earlier, I'm not too familiar with the world of tennis. How do you feel like tennis itself can increase its fan base? You know, I think the fan base has grown tremendously. It, you know, I would say started in America because we have access to tennis twenty four seven tennis channel. You know, there are more eyeballs that are on tennis outside of the Grand Slams. Tennis Channel's done a great job of not just showing professional tennis, but collegiate tennis, some junior tennis, wheelchair tennis, et cetera. And so people are able to see it more, which, you know, raises the level of of interest here. You know, I think things are cyclical. Um, People go in and out of what they like and what they don't like. And... Tennis is, is the biggest global sport, um, particularly for women, of where you can earn a great living. So I think there are more girls and women of interest in watching tennis mm-hmm. and, and learning about it and wanting to be those 
be those athletes and have an opportunity to be a professional tennis player. On the men's side, you know, unfortunately, there are too many other opportunities here in, in America with basketball and football and baseball and, and whatever. Right. You know, our young boys are seeing these commercials. Every commercial has a professional male athlete in it. And so these kids aspire to be like them. You know, when I was growing up, everybody wanted to be like Mike, right? <laughs> Mike yeah, Jordan. makes sense. Mm-hmm. And because that's who you saw. I mean, I was in Chicago, but I mean, he was on every commercial nationally. That's just who you saw. And so yeah. until we're able to highlight our tennis players, our tennis superstars in the same light, it's going to be very difficult to keep that interest growing for the next generation to know that tennis is a professional sport and that you can get a college scholarship, et cetera. But I think that's, that's the only, that's the only thing that's missing is just the commercialism of our sport, not during major tournaments. And you're just now starting to see that with Serena you know, with direct TV, she's got all these direct TV uh, ads and, and forget the other one, but it's a, a migraine commercial talks about migraines, you know, and she hadn't played, she hasn't picked up a racket in a year. So it's, uh, you know, that's, that's what we need to see more opportunities from our tennis athletes in these environments on these commercials on a daily basis. Perfect. Now I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. Because I'm going to take it back a little bit. In 2005, I was 11 years old, right? And I didn't have TV growing up. I had antenna TV. So if I ever got anything, it was like French CBC. And if the wind was coming from the West, I got nothing. Just complete <laughs> static, right? So the first time I ever learned about NBA was actually through, um, it's a game called Street V3. And it was like three on three. But what I loved about it is the Nintendo version, like GameCube had Mario Kart, like Mario players. So Luigi, Princess Peach, all that, all that jazz. Mm-hmm. So my billion dollar idea is we essentially do the same thing, but with tennis, have Serena Williams play with Princess Peach or Mario, whatever it is, local <laughs> fan base, expand everywhere, billion dollar idea, you can take it. But you know, I definitely feel like collaboration, especially like you said, with commercials that people need, people resonate, and to hit the younger youth, you you essentially attack what they're into. So like I've seen John Cena on like random kid shows, eh, throw Serena Williams on there. Why not have her do a few things and whatever, just like bring the sport to light. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a video and there's an app, I think it's called tennis clash, um, which okay. is trying to do the same thing with, with, uh, you know, the different tournaments and the different players, but whatever it takes, uh, you know, it, it has to be a collective effort by everyone. Oh, of course. A hundred percent. I fully agree. Yeah. Katrina, you mentioned that you grew up in Chicago. So I have to ask because I'm aware that you went to a set in high school there, and that was the same high school as one Michelle Robinson. Now known as Michelle <laughs> Obama. Did you? Right. I, I know there was a little bit of an age gap. I'm not going to disclose your age, but did you know about her when you were in school? I'm 53. I'm proud of my age. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I was, uh, Michelle graduated in June of 81, and I entered in September of 81. So we miss each other. Oh, okay. So I have had the, the opportunity and the fortune to, to meet her uh, a few times. She is a tennis fan, you know, and we, we've had that dolphin. Uh, that's our mascot. We've had that dolphin conversation. So Whitney Young uh, alum are very proud of, of where we went to high school. And, and so we've had some, some fun conversations over that. There we go. Love to see it. 
Now, just um, staying with the theme of tennis, I believe you're on the board of the ITF. Is that right? That is correct. Nice one. And also overseeing the Billie Jean King Cup? Yeah, I'm the chairperson of the of that committee, as well as the gender equality and tennis committee. I don't know how you I don't know how you do it. You have so many different hats that you juggle. It's awesome. It's I'm a little busy. <laughs> <laughs> Humble as well. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Now, the Billie Jean King Cup. There's there's been disruptions with COVID, as with many sporting competitions, but. What is that going to look like for 2022? Yeah, we should know in the next month where our our championship, our finals will be this year. It has been challenging with with COVID. You know, we we reformed an entire competition a couple of years ago to uh, change it to a, a 16 team, you know, finals format in one location, and and you know we were all geared up to go to Budapest in 20, and then. The world shut down, of course, with uh, COVID. Uh, it was challenging. They had to move away from Hungary with the challenges that they had financially. We played it in Prague last year under the new format for the first time, which was a, a challenge and a success at the same time. So hopefully uh, in February, uh, which is our target date, we will know where the finals will be not only in 22, but beyond for the next four or five years. Absolutely. And I see that Australia is currently number one in the rankings. Ash Party. <laughs> wow. You would have done exactly the same thing if we were talking about Canada, Coast. So just stop. Just stop. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, our, our home and away uh, qualifier, what we call the qualifiers, are, are all coming up in April. So, um, you know, the winners of those, those ties around the world will then qualify to go to the finals, you know, at the end of the year. And so the uh, finalists last year, those two teams, uh, Switzerland and the Russian Tennis Federation, will will uh, automatically be in that draw. And everyone else is trying to qualify to get there. There we go. Well, fingers crossed that Australia, the U.S., and Canada are all there. Hopefully, Cobe. Um, Seeing as how you brought up the outback. I'd like to ask Katrina's opinion. I didn't bring up the Outback, but you, you were just thinking about it. No, you mentioned Australia. Australia is the Outback. That's right. I got you. I got That's you. Right. I know where you're going. With Most of them, 75% of the population lives in urban areas, I should point out. <laughs> but yes, and us body did win the Australian Open. But please go on. Yes. Okay. So, so I'd like to ask your opinion of who's the, who you believe is the single best tennis player of all time. Of all time? Oh, Serena Williams. Okay, bang on. Okay, so you and I agree. I know you might say Margaret Court, maybe. No, no I wouldn't no. have said that. <laughs> that was an assumption. No, he, 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 wouldn't, he wouldn't say that because it's, it's not true. I mean, <laughs> you know, when you, when you look at the success, you know, not taking away anything from her success and the, and the championships, the major titles that she has, but it was also during an era where I think half of those were won in Australia when nobody went down there. I think she won nine titles down there, which is, you know, it's no small feat in itself. And I may be wrong on the number because that's what Djokovic has. But anyways, you know, Serena, when you look at the span and and the players that she has had to compete against, you know, over these 25 years uh, and the stamina and and think about think about it. 
Serena is also one of those players that played half schedule for 15 of those years. Mm-hmm. And everyone always complained, oh, she needs, you know, she needs to play more. She needs to play more. I mean, there were years she didn't play some of the majors because of injuries or, or other things that took her away. So, and, and think about all the finals that she lost in. You can't, it, it's, it's not even an argument um, as to what she has done and what she's accomplished. And I know we always say that, well, every era is different. Yeah, because, I mean, listen, I grew up or I competed with Navratilova to Chrissy to Steffi mm-hmm. to Selish, you know, through the Williams and, and Hing is coming on tour. I, I, that was my era, which was phenomenal. But you think about all the people that she, played against when she came out there from Hingis and Capriati and Selish and, you know, Anna and, you know, Venus. I mean, those are amazing champions and Arantxa Sanchez Vitario that she had to beat week in and week out. So. I'm in full agreement. Right. You, you don't have to worry about me. There you go. Arguing against that one. I was just, <laughs> okay. And you, you competed in both doubles and singles. Which did you prefer? Uh, I mean, listen, I love them both. I just was more successful playing doubles. You know, I, I always love having that partner on the court to be able to high five and strategize with. And it's a quick moving part of our sport. I'm, I'm a net player. I'm a servant volleyer. I'm a net player. And so I just had a lot more fun playing doubles. But it didn't take away from my love for competing in singles. My doubles success was a lot more frequent and it took me out of a lot of my, you know, single singles tournaments opportunities and to the point where I ended up started to be in my last two years, I played doubles only just because I had lost my singles ranking. You've got to, you have to defend your points, you know, year over year. Yeah. So if you're not able to get in those tournaments or if you do well the year before and you lose first or second round the next year, you're losing points and therefore your ranking is dropping, uh, which puts you down in lower level tournaments. And so I had to make a choice between playing in the higher level tournaments, you know, to keep my doubles ranking going, of which I'm going to get to the finals weekend, you know, finals weekend every week, same as for finals, or do I go down and play this tournament or have to play qualified in singles and then jeopardize my doubles? And, and that's where I ended up with sticking with the doubles. Okay. Actually, that's something I didn't know. I didn't know that the, the rankings were so different as far as qualification goes. Well, you have to realize, if you, you know, only the Grand Slams have a draw of 128. You know, most of the other tournaments had a, a draw of 32 or a draw of 64. So if you're not one of the top 32 players or maybe top 40, because not every player plays every week, then you're not getting in that tournament. So then the next 32 or 16, whatever those draw sizes are, you're playing qualifying over the weekend to get in those tournaments. And so that, that's how it works. Okay. Yeah, so I was just kind of creeping your old uh, alma mater there for high school, and apparently you and Craig Robinson walked the halls around the same time. Like, that's kind of cool, the comedian actor. Yeah, you know, it's we, we have a lot of, of, of uh, successful people, you know, in entertainment and sports that, that came from my high school. So it's, um, you know, as well as, you know, political leaders and everybody else. Whitney Young High School was a magnet school, so you had the best students from around the city that came there. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a neighborhood school. From football, we had Russell Maryland, who was a Super Bowl champion with um, Dallas Cowboys. 
Quint Richardson played basketball in the NBA for, I don't know, 15 years. He's younger than, I, than me, but um, Daryl Flowers played baseball. I mean, we had a lot of, a lot of athletes that, that came out. And so we're very proud of, of what we have there academically and athletically. Yeah, you guys even have an astronaut there too. You guys are just amazing. Beats beats the crud out of where I came from. Jesus. <laughs> like you guys have even the Matrix, like the Wachowski sisters. Jesus. See, there like, you I go. Just, there you go. Like what the hell? What what does the school offer? Is it just like perform basically if you're good at something, come here? No, you've got to get in. I mean, you've gotta you've gotta be a great student. So um I don't know how they do the entry now, but back then it was a test based entry. So you had to have a certain GPA plus, you know, do well on the entry uh, exam to to be accepted. That is absolutely brilliant and also extremely intimidating. Now, you <laughs> Katrina, you are a lady of many talents. We've we've covered, we haven't even covered <laughs> so half of it yeah. because you're also a broadcaster. <laughs> you're on the tennis channel, as I think you alluded to, but I also saw you on CBS recently. So. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, you, you cover other sports in addition to tennis, right? I do. I do. I'm a co-host on um, a show called We Need to Talk. It's an all-female co-hosted show on, and talking about sports. Amazing experience, you know, sitting at the table with these other brilliant women. Um, and we talk, you know, every about every sport, every athlete, and what have you. And then recently I was actually on um, one of the uh, – the halftime shows of the college basketball games yes. a couple of weeks ago on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, birthday. And, um, you know, it's, it's cool kind of sitting around shooting a breeze with Seth Davis and Clark Kellogg and, and Adam Zucker. So uh, I enjoy sports. I've, I've always been a sports fan. I was an ultimate tomboy growing up. My dad had me sitting on his lap watching, you know, football, baseball, basketball. And and um, so I had a, a, an awesome girl dad. and. And, uh, you know, I just love it. I flip the channel and, and stop on, you know, if the game is interesting, I'll stop. Even if it's a sport that I don't watch that often, I, I admire, you know, I admire greatness and, and hard work. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, you're going to be at the Super Bowl. Is that right? I will be at the Super Bowl. I am. I'm, uh, I'm actually speaking at an event um, at the Johnny Cochran Awards. Nice. On, um, the Thursday before the game, and so I'll, I'll be out there for the weekend for other activities. I saw, yeah, I remember Johnny Cochran. Um, his story, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. It's, it's awesome to hear that name again. Oh, uh, good, good. Do you have a desired matchup you want to see in said Super Bowl? Hmm, let me see who's playing again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Who's the first? Who's the first game today? The Chiefs will go up against the Bengals, and then the yeah. second game will be the Rams and the Forty ers Yeah, so it's uh, Chiefs and the Rams. Of course. Of course. <laughs> okay, we'll see about that. Cole? That's right. So, somebody, on, somebody on this on this chat is a Forty ers fan. Is that That's right? That's right. That's yeah, exactly yeah. right. That will be me. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, bro. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What are you, what are you sorry about? <laughs> I don't get going. it. What they're, are you sorry they're about? Not, they're, because you're not going to the Super Bowl this year. Okay, I'm happy. To re- I'm happy. I'm happy to revisit this in the evening. Yeah, <laughs> just give me, give me a call. That's all good. Someone should teach Garoppolo how to throw a touchdown. 
He doesn't have to throw a touchdown. He can score. He can score on a quarterback sneak. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and and continue and continue to bang up his body. That's why, fine. Why, 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 volunteer, why voluntarily put yourself in a pile of of, of gridiron? Why? Why? Peyton Manning, hey, he's got a nice face. He's still got a nice, handsome face. <laughs> that will be fine. It's protected by the helmet. And yeah, Peyton now, Manning. Okay, we have watched Tom Brady for 22 years. And last week was the first time I saw him with a busted lip. Yeah, because the referees me, keep referees protecting. And this is, and, and, and it's ironic that he retires a week after getting his lip busted. Because it's the first time he's been busted in 22 years. And he's like, I can't mess up my face. Von Miller, no. baby, Von Miller. So I'm just, so I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I, I'm gonna disagree. <laughs> he, he hasn't retired. Apparently, he's. I think he's waiting for the right time to retire. But the <laughs> my contention on the on the point of the the Niners is that Peyton Manning won a Super Bowl with half his body. You know, he was he was dumb. He he couldn't throw. He could barely run. He threw interceptions against the Panthers. They hey, still hey, won a hey, Super hey, Bowl. Hey, 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 hey. They beat my team. So let's not talk about that. I wasn't yeah. even talk I wasn't even talking about that one. I was talking about the one against the Panthers. Okay, let's talk about your bears then. Let, let's <laughs> Come on, man. The Bears. Delete my bears alone. Okay. Justin Fields is a good quarterback. I just hope the front office can correct he, themselves he, this he, time around. He, He's a baby. I mean, give him give him another year. I mean, they they got to de- help him develop into an NFL player. There we go. So you know, I mean, they throw him in two, three games, four games into the season as opposed mm-hmm. to starting him and, and allowing him to, you know, get the reps and the experience, knowing that that's going to be your quarterback. So I don't understand why they didn't you know prepare him in preseason and and get him out there. That's why we drafted him. And um, but you know what? We'll have a new new coaching staff and see. See what they can do and, and what their plans are. But we do need a strategy. I mean, you know, our defense has always been solid. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they fell off a little bit this year from, you know, the previous year. But I think, you know, if we get some the right leadership at the top to where the team has the confidence in their coaching staff, then, you know, we'll be back in a couple of years. There we go. Look forward to that. Khalil Mack will come back and the sacks will come with him. Yeah, you can't really fault the the defensive side of the ball. You can't be very aggressive when you're playing from behind all the time. So that's that exactly. factors in too. Uh, Cubs or Sox? See what happened was <laughs> I'm I'm a Chicago fan. Okay, okay. So I I grew up going to both games. So my dad, we didn't pick sides. We lived on the west side of Chicago literally smack dab in the middle. I think we were equal distance from the Cubs, as, from Wrigley Field as we were then Comiskey Park. So, you know, I and I had friends that were in both organizations, so I supported them both. Okay, now that's, that's a fair answer. That That's very unlike any resident in any city that has two teams. You're either one or the other. But I can't say that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a Chicago sports fan, period. That's fair. That's fair. I can accept that. That's nothing wrong with being a, a homebody to the city. Right. Right. There you go. There you go. Now, where can our fans find you on social media? Oh, awesome. Um, so I am at Cat Adams 
K-A-T-A-D-A-M-S on both Twitter and Instagram. I am on LinkedIn under my name and I am on Facebook under my name. I think it's number 921, however you do that. Katrina.Adams slash 921. Okay. Uh, am I missing anything? TikTok? <laughs> yeah, I don't really do TikTok. <laughs> I, I have a TikTok account, but I, I just don't really do it. There you go. But yeah, I'm all over. And then I have a website, which is KatrinaMAdams.com, M for Michelle. So you can go there if you want to purchase my book and learn more about me or, or book a speaking engagement. Um, that's where you can go to, to do that. So that's KatrinaMAdams.com. Right on. Excellent. Perfect. I just gave you a follow. <laughs> no, I, listen, I, I appreciate the chat. Happy to talk sports anytime. You guys are doing an amazing job. Keep up the great work. And uh, hopefully people go out and buy my book, pick up a racket and start playing tennis. Let's do it. If you have any questions for the Pro Sports Podcasters, be sure to reach us on our Twitter account, where you can also slide into our DMs and catch the latest snippets, dirt, and other exclusive things that we will tweet. Check us out at P Podcasters on Twitter. <laughs>